Sound off for Chesterfield. Chesterfield, low in nicotine, highest in quality, best for you. Chesterfield brings you Dragnet. Ladies and gentlemen, the story you're about to hear is true. The names have been changed to protect the innocent. You're a detective sergeant. You're assigned a robbery detail. A hold-up man has robbed the owner of a neighborhood grocery store. The victim has been beaten unmercifully with a sawed-off shotgun. The assailant has escaped into the city without a trace. Your job? Find him. Smokers by the thousands are now changing to Chesterfield. The only cigarette ever to give you one, proof of low nicotine, highest quality. Two, this proven record with smokers. No adverse effects to the nose, throat, and sinuses from smoking Chesterfield. Chesterfield, regular or king size, low in nicotine, highest in quality, best for you. Dragnet, the documented drama of an actual crime. For the next 30 minutes, in cooperation with the Los Angeles Police Department, you will travel step by step on the side of the law through an actual case transcribed from official police files. From beginning to end, from crime to punishment, Dragnet is the story of your police force in action. It was Wednesday, February 18th. It was raining in Los Angeles. We were working the day watch out of robbery detail. My partner's Frank Smith. The boss is Chief of Detective Thad Brown. My name's Friday. The office had called me at 3.46 a.m., and by the time I got dressed and out in front of my apartment, it was 3.59 a.m. Frank was there waiting to pick me up. What's the best way to get there? Down the freeway, I guess, and cut over on the Liso, huh? All right. Who called you, the hospital or the office? The office said that Bailey had regained consciousness. We might be able to talk to him now. The rain's going to slow us down. Well, I better use the light and siren, Frank. We may not have much time. Huh? The way the skipper put it to me on the phone. Yeah? They still don't know if Bailey's going to live. Raymond Bailey was 62 years old. He owned and operated a small neighborhood grocery store on the corner of Whitman and Beacon Streets. Two days before, on Monday night... A man had entered the store and at the point of a sawed-off shotgun had robbed Bailey. After emptying the cash register and the safe, he'd slugged the elderly man with the barrel of the gun and he'd fled. Bailey had been rushed to Georgia Street Receiving Hospital and then transferred to the county hospital for treatment. For the past two days, he'd been under a heavy sedative and he'd been in a coma. He was suffering from a skull fracture, cuts and bruises. His condition was listed as critical and we'd left word to be called the minute he regained consciousness. 4.26 a.m. We got to the hospital. We went up to the fourth floor. We met and talked with the doctor who'd been taking care of Bailey. He told us that the patient had just been given another shot to ease the pain and that he'd probably drop off to sleep. We went into the hospital room and walked over to the side of the bed. It was a few minutes before the old man started to talk. I'll tell you what I remember. All seemed kind of far away like I read about it in a book. Not, not like it really happened to me. All right, sir, if you just tell it in your own words if you can. What time is it? It's quarter to five, Mr. Bailey. Who's that? I'm Frank Smith. Uh, you a policeman, too? Yes, sir. Oh, uh, 
quarter of five, huh? That day or night? It's in the morning, sir. Uh-huh. I sure been out. If you'd tell us what happened, sir. How many of you are there in here? With just the two of us. Yeah. The way they got in my head, all bandies can't see. Say, officers. Yes, sir. Doctor said this is Wednesday. Is that true? Yes, sir, that's right. Wednesday the 18th. I can't figure where the time's gone. It can't be Wednesday. Why do you have to agree with him? Why don't you tell me for true? Well, sir, you've been asleep for a couple of days. Really? Yes, sir. Been pretty sick, huh? That's what they tell us. Mm-hmm. Eh, seems like every time I turn around and give me another shot, takes the pain away, but makes everything seem so far away, like nothing was really happening to me. Yes, sir, we understand. Think you could go on with the story? Uh, oh, yeah. And th- this fella came in Monday night. It was raining. Wasn't much business. I was figuring on closing when he came in. Took one of the carts and started to pick up stuff off the counter. Yes, sir. Well, the fella picked up a lot of stuff. Had a shopping bag with him. Hung it on the cart. I figured that I'd have to check the bag when he got the check stand. We had a lot of shoplifting lately. I see. Well... After he looked the store over, he came up to check stand. I checked out the stuff he had. Came to over $5. Oh, picked out all kinds of things. Most of them imported. I see. These were all groceries, were they? Yes. I had the stuff, and it come to a little over $5. Oh, I got exactly how much. Eh, a little over $5. All right, sir. After I got everything all told up, well, I asked him if I could put it in a shopping bag for him. I didn't want to come right out and ask to see in it. After all, he might have just moved in the neighborhood, and I haven't got that many regulars that I can insult him. Yes, sir. That's when he pulled the gun. Pulled it right out of the shopping bag. Now, you saw that it was a shotgun, did you? Yes, sir. Barrel was sharp. I guess it'd been sawed off. Mm-hmm. He pointed at me and told me to give him the money in the cash register. All right, sir. Then he told me to lay down on the floor and... Stay there for five minutes and not to move. Mm-hmm. I was going to do it. I wasn't going to give men trouble. Money doesn't mean that much to me. You you get to be my age, 62, and it's more important than you're alive than how much money you got. Yes, sir. A lot more important. Yes, sir. Well, I was just going to do like you said when Mrs. Colton came into the store. She's one of my regular customers, you know. I see. She saw the fellow with the gun, and she let out a scream. I tried to tell her to keep quiet, but before I could say much of anything, the fellow turned around and hit me with a gun. Oh, I say, hit me just about as hard as he could. I kind of remember the sirens coming, but after that, it's kind of hazy. Like it didn't really happen to me, like uh, like I read about it. I see, sir. Now, can you tell us what the man looked like? Uh, yes, yeah, I guess I can. Uh, a bit before I do, though. Yes, sir. Uh, would you tell me what time it really is? Well, right now it's 4.50, Mr. Bailey, 4.50 a.m. Wednesday morning? Yes, sir, that's right. I don't think it's very nice you fellas play a joke like this on old man. Seems like you could be honest. If I had my watch, I could tell myself. Well, we're telling you the truth about the time, Mr. Bailey. It's 4.50. Uh, all right, then you have your little joke, but I don't think it's funny at all. Now, sir, can you tell us how old the man was? About 24, 26. I see. How tall was he? Tall as me. I can remember because I could look right over straight at him. That'd make him five and eight. Yeah, right about that. Was he heavy or slight? I couldn't tell too well. He 
Had a big overcoat on. How about his coloring, his complexion? Oh, he's dark-complected, had dark eyes. Do you remember what the color of his hair was? Well, I, I could just see at the temples. It uh, it was black. Yeah. He had this hat on, hat pulled down. Uh-huh. Was he clean-shaven? Uh, yeah, yes, he was. I'm sorry to have to ask you all these questions, but we have to get to the bottom of this. Did he have any marks or scars? Yes, yes, sir. He had a little mole on the side of his nose. Just a small little one. Which side of his nose would you remember? Well, when he was facing me, it was on the left, so that'd be on his right. Yeah, that, that's right, on the right side. I hope we're not tiring you too much, but was there anything different about the way he talked? An accent, something like that? No. Say, uh, how about the things he picked up? You get any fingerprints from him? No, sir, he must have taken all the groceries with him. Would you know the man if you saw him again, Mr. Bailey? <laughs> you just bet I would. I'd remember that face till my dying day. I won't ever forget it. Think you've ever seen this man before? No, sir, never did. Would you know if he drove a car? Well, I, I don't think so. He was so wet when he come in. He must have walked a ways. And like I said, his shoulders are just soaking wet. Yes, sir. We'd like to have you look at some pictures when you feel a little better, Mr. Bailey. Well, you just bring them on. You got a picture of that young hoodlum, I'll know it. All right, sir. We're going to have to come back and see you. You ought to try to get some sleep now. We appreciate your cooperation here. Well, I suppose I should. Last couple of minutes, you fellas been getting a little further away from me. Seems like none of this is happening to me, just like I'm dreaming it. Well, we'll be back to see you, sir. Is there anything you need? No, sir, not a thing. All right, fine. Thanks very much, and you get some rest now. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll try. Say, hey, one thing you could do for me. What's that, sir? Would you ask the nurse to come by? I think the joke is funny, but you fellas carried it on too far. I'd like to know what time it really is. All right, Mr. Bailey. We'll send her in. Thank you. Goodbye, sir. Goodbye. Goodbye. Pardon me, nurse. Uh, yes? What if you check Mr. Bailey in there? He'd like to know what time it is. He's been asking the same question the last two days. He won't seem to believe any of us. Mm hmm do you know where we could find Dr. Cardell? Yes, sir, just down the hall, two doors past the turn. Thank you very much. Sure like to find out when we'll be able to look at those mug shots. Yeah, it's got a good description. Gonna make it easier. Yeah. I guess this is it. Two doors past the turn. Yeah. Come in. Sorry to bother you again, Doctor. That's all right. What can I do for you? We were wondering when it would be possible for Mr. Bailey to look at some pictures for us. I mean, when he's well enough. Well, with the way he's been reacting to treatment, he'll live. Yes, sir. But you saw the bandage. Yes, sir. He's totally blind. Five ten a.m., we got to the city hall. We got out a supplementary broadcast and an APB carrying the description of the suspect. We asked the stats office to make a run for us on the information the victim of the holdup had given us. They said they'd be able to give us a list of possibles by 10.30 that morning. We checked through the oddity file to see if there might be something in the records on the small mole on the suspect's nose. There were several cards turned over to us, but none of them matched the rest of the description that we had. 6.30 a.m., we went across the street, we had breakfast, and then we came back to the office and put in a call to the hospital to check on Bailey. The doctor told us that he was sleeping comfortably and he appeared to be past the critical point. For the next hour, Frank and I checked through the mug books to see if there were any recent parolees who matched the description that we had. We came up with nothing that would help us in getting an identification of the suspect. The woman customer of the store, mentioned by Bailey in his report of the crime, had been questioned thoroughly 
but she was unable to give us any additional information on the holdup man. She was unable to give us a concrete description of the thief. She'd been shown the mug books, but after looking at them, she stated that she was more confused than she had been before seeing them. She also told us about the suspect's black overcoat. She said that while the shoulders looked quite wet from the rain, the rest of the garment appeared to be dry. 10.30 a.m., we got the results of the run from the stats office. There were 17 names on the list. All men matched the description of the suspect and had at one time or another used the same M.O. used in holding up Bailey. It took us two days to check him out, and at the end of 48 hours, we were no nearer apprehending the thief than we had been before. 7.58 a.m. Saturday morning. I checked in for work. Hi, Joe. Morning, Frank. It's one of the best investments I ever made. Huh? This trench coat. Sure gave me a lot of wear. Well, if you only used it this week, you'd gotten your money's worth. Yeah. Sure is the answer to the rain question, though. I've been wearing that plastic coat of mine so long, I'm beginning to feel like a package of frozen food. Yeah. You look like it, too. Yeah. Anything in the book? No. I talked to Stoner this morning, thought for a minute he had something for us. What's that? Well, I picked up a kid down on 7th yesterday. Tried to heist a liquor store. Manager pulled a gun and held him. Stoner answered the call. Thought at first it might be the guy we're looking for. Didn't check out, though, huh? No. Kid just got in town yesterday morning, broke and hungry. You know, I got to thinking about that Bailey thing last night. Yeah? Well, what he said about the suspect's coat. What do you mean? Well, you remember that Bailey said the guy didn't look very wet, just the shoulders on the coat. Well, no, Joe, Bailey didn't say exactly that. He said the shoulders on the coat looked wet, but it was that woman customer we talked to, that Mrs. Colton. She's the one that told us the coat looked dry except the shoulders. Yeah, well, that's the point I'm trying to make. I don't remember who said it. But if just his shoulders were wet, the way the rain was coming down out there, he couldn't have walked far and come in out of it that dry, could he? No. There's no bus or streetcar lines within six blocks of Bailey's store. We know he doesn't live close to the store. He had to come in a car. Nobody saw one, though. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's happened before. I guess it's the same thing you're thinking, huh? Well, could have took a cab, huh? Maybe. Well, let's run it down. It's better than standing still. There are 22 taxi cab companies listed in the phone directory, all serving the downtown Los Angeles area. Each of these companies may have from six to several hundred cabs in service at any given time. Each driver might make as many as six trips an hour. In wet weather, the cab traffic is almost double that of any normal day. As a result of the number of possibilities, Frank and I spent the next week going through driver's waybills, checking for a cab that dropped off a customer near the corner of Virgil Avenue and Bimini Place at approximately 9.30 p.m. on the date of the robbery. After checking the reports, we came up with one trip that looked good. A driver had picked up a passenger at the corner of Mariposa and Wilshire Boulevard and had dropped him one block from Bailey's store, waited for him, and then driven him downtown. We checked with the traffic manager of the cab company and we found that the driver could be located at a cab stand out on Wilshire Boulevard. Frank and I drove out to see him. We gave him the description of the suspect and asked if he'd ever seen anybody who matched it. Yeah, yeah, I remember him, a little guy. I picked him up out on Wilshire. I remember because he wanted out on a corner. And I thought it was funny that he didn't want me to let him out in front of wherever it was he was going. Did you wait for him? Yeah, he gave me a saw buck and said for me to wait. I dropped the flag and, oh, I guess it was about a half an hour later, he came running back to the cab. Jumped in, told me to take him down to First and Spring. Let him out there. Remember him pretty good now. Had a big shopping bag. I see. Do you know where he went when he got out of your cab out on Bimini? No. I think it was an apartment out there. The way the rain was coming down, I didn't stick my head out to watch him. How about when you dropped him off downtown? You see where he went then? Mm, no. You think you'd know this man if you ever saw him again? Mm, not sure. He wore his hat kind of down over his face, dark in the back of the cab. Might know him, then maybe I wouldn't. I'd like to have you come downtown and look at some pictures, if you would, see if you can spot them for us. Sure, i got to get cleared through the dispatcher first. That's all right, we'll take care of that. Say, what's this guy done? Something pretty bad, huh? Well, we want to talk to him. 
Mm, going to a lot of trouble just to talk to a guy. Come on, you can tell me. I won't spread it around. What's a beat? What's he done? Huh? I'll be a little better if we talk to him about it. Okay. That's the way you want to play it. I don't want to get nosy. I'll get you cleared with the dispatcher. Okay. I'd like to have you show us the apartment you think the man might have gone into, if you would. Oh, sure. Glad to do anything I can to help. Oh, say about those pictures. Yeah. Sure was dark that night. I hope I can point him out. Yes, sir. So do we. We took the cab driver downtown, and he went through the mug books, but he was unable to come up with an identification. The neighborhoods where he'd picked up the suspect and where he dropped him off were checked. None of the people in the vicinity could tell us anything. The usual channels of information were checked, but they yielded no new information. It had been ten days since the holdup, and we were no nearer to finding the suspect than we'd been the day after the robbery. Another week passed without results. The thief had dropped from sight. We still had no idea where he was. On Tuesday, March 10th, we got the answer. Hot shot, I'll get it. Anything? Yeah, he just hit again. The description in the M.O. the thief had used was the same as he'd employed in holding up Bailey. During the following three days, he hit three more times. Each time, he got away without a trace. From the information we were able to get, it became apparent that he was using taxi cabs to get to and from the scene of the holdups. We checked the cab companies and got their full cooperation. They agreed to help us as much as they could, but explained that with the tremendous volume of business that they handled each day, it would be almost impossible to check every passenger that the drivers carried. We got out printed descriptions of the suspect, giving detailed information of the hat and the coat that he wore, the shopping bag that he carried, and the fact that he asked the drivers to wait for him. Another week passed without results. The bandit had stopped operating. Thursday, March 19th, three additional teams of men were assigned to the case and a rolling stakeout was set up in the general area where the holdup man had been working. Additional cars were planted at the cab stands along Wilshire Boulevard and in the vicinity of First and Spring Streets. Another two days passed. On Thursday, March 21st, Frank and I were sitting in our car, staked out at the cab stand at the corner of Wilshire and Leeward, 8.46 p.m. That looks like it's gonna rain again. Yeah. Those clouds have been moving in all afternoon. Pretty black, aren't they? Yeah. Sure cold, too. Mm-hmm. Attention all units. All units. 9648 Eldon Place, a 211 code 3. All units in the vicinity of 9648 Eldon Place, a 211 code 3. Let's go. Right. A couple blocks over. Yeah. Well, this is 9400. Should be two blocks down from here. All right. Better hold it. There's a cab headed this way. You see who's in it? No, he's pulling over to the other side. I'll take a look. Yeah, might be. You want to check it? Yeah. All right, I'll swing around. That cab's taking off. You see it? Yeah, he's up ahead. Just turning off on Wilson. See him? Yeah, I hope we don't lose him. There's only one man in the back seat. You get a good look at him when we pass? Not too good, no. Hat pulled down. It's about off. See him? Yeah, there he is, up ahead. Yeah, probably pulled a gun on the driver. All right, stick to him now. Yeah. yeah. Looks like he's headed for MacArthur Park. Yeah. Turn right. Yeah. There's a cab. Come on, pull up. Come on. I couldn't stop. He said he'd kill me if I did. He had the gun pointed right at me. You see where he went? Yeah, he ran over there in the park. Good, I'll check it. I didn't know what it was all about. He said if I didn't keep driving, he'd kill me. It's all right. You stay here. I'll be right back. Yeah, sure. Joe. Yeah. You see him? 
No, he got away. Maybe we got something to go on. Yeah? He dropped his shotgun. blockade of MacArthur Park was ordered. The surrounding streets were checked, but apparently the suspect had made good his escape. The crime lab crew was called, and they came out and went over the cab for physical evidence. In the back seat of the cab, we found the shopping bag that the thief had carried. It was a plain brown paper bag with heavy cord handles. There was no way of tracing it. In the bottom of the bag, under several cans of food, there was a sales slip with a penciled notation. One of the prices that had been rung up had apparently been wrong, and after the total had been made, a credit to the customer had been deducted. There was no market name on the slip and no address, just the penciled notation. The shotgun and the cans of food were checked for fingerprints, but those that were found were so badly smudged that they were useless. The serial number was checked with gun records, and we found out that the gun had been reported stolen three months previously. We went out and talked to the man who'd made the report, but he couldn't help us. Lieutenant Lee Jones made photographs of the serrated edge of the sawed-off barrels, and they were booked as evidence. We checked at the store that had been robbed, but they told us that the sales slip wasn't theirs. Monday, March 23rd, we started out to find the store that had made out the slip. We checked all of the smaller grocery stores in the area where most of the cabs had been picked up. It took us the better part of three days. On Wednesday afternoon, we stopped at a small delicatessen at the corner of 3rd and Leeward Streets. The manager there told us that he didn't recognize the slip, but he said that it could have come from their cash register. He asked us to wait while he called his wife. She came over to the store and we showed her the receipt. Yeah... That's one I made out. A customer bought four cans of tomato sauce, and I made a mistake on the register. I overcharged him a penny on each can. He noticed that he made quite a scene. It was pretty embarrassing. I apologized, and I gave him a credit. Do you know the man? Yeah, he comes in quite often, once or twice a week. Does he live in the neighborhood, would you know? No, I can't tell you that. He just comes in, then he leaves. Do you know his name? No, I don't. You drive a car? I've never seen him in a car. He usually walks in, gets what he wants, and then walks out. You ever come in with anybody else? No, he's always alone. And you don't know if he lives around here, huh? Well, I told you no. What's he done? What's this all about? We want to talk to him, ma'am. When do you think he'll be back? Well, let's say this is Thursday. Might be in this evening, maybe tomorrow. What times do you usually come in? Mostly in the late afternoon or early evening. Is there something I can do? Do you have a message I could give him? No, ma'am. We'll give it to him. We called the office and told them where we were. Sergeants Murphy and Rafferty were sent out to help us cover the place. They'd stopped by the business office and brought out two shotguns for us. Frank and I checked the small store for some place to stake out. The only place we could find where we could keep the entire store under observation and yet not be seen ourselves was on top of one of the large refrigerators that held frozen foods and dairy products. Murphy and Rafferty took up their positions outside of the store and we waited. At 5.30, it started to rain again. There was no sign of the suspect. 7 p.m., 8 p.m., still no sign of him and the rain got heavier. 8.30, 9 p.m., Every time this thing switches on, it feels like the dentist is working on the teeth. Uh, sure not much room up here. Don't shove me off. Uh, uh, there just isn't one. What's that? Well, there just isn't any way a man can lay on top of an icebox and be comfortable. Yeah. Evening. Yeah. Glad to see you back. Huh? I thought you might be mad about me overcharging you the other day. Looking for anything special tonight? No, just a couple of can things. I can get them. Sure is raining. Yeah. Looks good. Yeah. Let's wait till he comes over this way. You can jump him then, huh? Right. 
right now. Hey, what's going on? Watch it, Joe. Let's go. There he goes. All right, police officer, hold it up. He isn't going to stop, Joe. You see Murph and Rafferty? Yeah, they're across the street. Looks like he's going in that apartment. Come on. All right, take it easy. He should be in there. He is. All right, cover me. Right. All right, give it up, mister. Get away from me, cop. You come after me, I'll kill you. Come on downstairs. You're going to save yourself a lot of trouble. Okay, Joe? Yeah. He's still alive. You want to call the ambulance? Yeah. Who told you? Who tipped you off? You did. I never talked in my life. I wasn't even worried. You were once, fella. What about? Four cents. The story you have just heard is true. The names were changed to protect the innocent. On July 16th, trial was held in Department 96, Superior Court of the State of California, in and for the County of Los Angeles. In a moment, the results of that trial. Now, here is our star, Jack Webb. Thank you, George Fenneman. I only need seven seconds to tell you why you should be smoking Chesterfields. Chesterfield is low in nicotine, highest in quality, best for you. I'd like you to try them. Regular or king size? Chesterfield. Russell Craig was tried and convicted on three counts of robbery in the first degree and one count of assault with a deadly weapon. Robbery in the first degree is punishable by imprisonment in the state penitentiary for a period of not less than five years. Assault with a deadly weapon is punishable by imprisonment for a period not to exceed ten years. Ladies and gentlemen, this week in Detroit, a group of men are gathered for the 60th annual conference of the International Association of Chiefs of Police. Dragnet sends best wishes to the top law enforcement officers in the nation and thanks them for the protection they daily give to our homes and families. May this conference be the best one they've ever had. You have just heard Dragnet. A series of authentic cases from official files. Technical advice comes from the office of Chief of Police, W.H. Parker, Los Angeles Police Department. Technical advisors, Captain Jack Donahoe, Sergeant Marty Wynn, Sergeant Vance Brasher. Heard tonight were Ben Alexander, Ralph Moody, Lillian Bayev, Jack Crucian. Script by John Robinson. Music by Walter Schumann. Hal Gibney speaking. Watch an entirely new Dragnet case history each week on your local NBC television station. Please check your newspaper for the day and time. Chesterfield has brought you Dragnet, transcribed from Los Angeles. Have you tried new cork-tipped Fatima? It's the smooth smoke. Here's why. New Fatima tips of perfect cork. King size for longer filtering. And Fatima quality for a much better flavor and aroma. Remember, Fatima has the tip for your lips. Try new Fatima. See how smooth it is. Fatima is made by the makers of Chesterfield, Liggett and Myers, one of tobacco's most respected names.
sound off for Chesterfield. Chesterfield, low in nicotine, highest in quality, best for you. Chesterfield brings you Dragnet. Ladies and gentlemen, the story you're about to hear is true. The names have been changed to protect the innocent. You're a detective sergeant. You're assigned to auto theft detail. You get a call from the owner of a used car lot. He tells you he thinks he bought a stolen car. Your job, check it out. Smokers by the thousands are now changing to Chesterfield. The only cigarette ever to give you one, proof of low nicotine, highest quality. Two, this proven record with smokers. No adverse effects to the nose, throat, and sinuses from smoking Chesterfield. Chesterfield, regular or king size. Low in nicotine, highest in quality, best for you. Dragnet, the documented drama of an actual crime. For the next 30 minutes, in cooperation with the Los Angeles Police Department, you will travel step by step on the side of the law through an actual case transcribed from official police files. From beginning to end, from crime to punishment, Dragnet is the story of your police force in action. It was Monday, May 4th. It was warm in Los Angeles. We were working the day watch out of auto theft detail. My partner's Frank Smith. The boss is Captain Nelson. My name's Friday. I was on my way into the office, and it was 7.56 a.m. when I got to room 40. Auto theft. Is that you, Joe? Yeah. Hi. When'd you get in? Well, about 7.30. I woke up at 5. I couldn't get back to sleep. What's the matter? Oh, I'm sorry, Joe. I don't think I could lift a pencil to make out a report today. All right. What happened? Baseball. Baseball? Yeah. I tell you something, Joe. I found it out yesterday. Ain't no Chuck Stevens. Is that right? Yep. Yesterday morning, I got up early. I'm going to do a little work in the garden. It was a beautiful day, you know. Felt real great. Uh-huh. I got out in the backyard. I'm to take it easy, listen to the ball game, you know. Easy day. Yeah. And about 10, that guy next door, Neil Radcliffe, came over. That's the fellow of the fire department, isn't it? No, Joe, that's Bud Hendricks in the fire department. Neil works for an insurance oh, company. Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, Neil's company is going to sponsor a team in the Little League. You know, kids' baseball team. Mm-hmm. I think I read something about that in the papers, didn't I? Yeah, I suppose you did. They're pretty good, too. Mm-hmm. Well, Neil's got sort of a tryout yesterday, lined up for his team. Practice, you know. Mm-hmm. And he wanted me to umpire. Do you know anything about being an umpire? Well, Joe, sure I do. And besides, Neil figures, since I'm a policeman, the kids will believe me. He had a little trouble with them himself last week. I just thought you had to go to some sort of a school to be an umpire. Well, Joe, you do for the regular leagues, but this was just a practice game. Neil's team and some kids in the neighborhood. Yeah. So I told him, sure, I'd do it. I changed my clothes, went out the park with him. You know, I thought it might be good public relations for the police department. You know what they tell us. Being an umpire would be good public relations, huh? Well, Joe, the bulletins say get out, get around the neighborhood, know your friends and their kids. All right, go ahead. Mm-hmm. Joe, those kids are on the wrong league. What do you mean? They're murderers. Well, how's that? The way they play the game, baseball. I never saw such ball. Is that a fact? Yeah, I figured, you know, softball, underhands, kids pitching, be easy to call. Mm-hmm. Joe, it's regulation hardball. Just like that. Bases are a little closer, but it's just like the big leagues and the way those kids throw the ball. 
couple of times there. I thought they were just kidding. I'd hear this thump, never see the ball. Thought the kid catcher was just hitting his hand, his glove, you know. And all of a sudden, he'd turn around, there'd it be, right in his mitt. Mm-hmm. You know, like... Well, how'd you get so sore if you just umpired the game? You stood in one place, didn't you? While I was up in the game, yeah, but this team of Neils was skunking the other kids so bad that we had a little reorganization. What do you mean, reorganization? Well, the uh, end of the second inning, the score was 14 to 2, and I thought that was a little unfair to the neighborhood kids. Being the umpire, you certainly had the right to think it was unfair. Well, I got out and I told them what I thought, so I decided to play first base for him. You what? I played first base for him. With all those kids? Sure. Fun. I played five straight innings. That's what I was just going to ask you. Yeah. Finally, I had to quit. Could hardly move. Didn't seem to make any difference where I was, Joe. Those kids weren't there. They just ran me ragged. Yeah, well, maybe you better take it a little easy today, huh? Would you like the day off? No, not the day off, Joe, but, you know, I'll take it easy. (laughs) Faye rubbed liniment on my back all night. All over my arms and legs, man, I'm sore. It even hurt to get dressed this morning. Mm -hmm. Well, what was the final score, anyway? Well, at the end of the second inning, it was 14 to 2 in favor of the Little Saints. You like told I was me all you, that. Neil's team. 14 to 2. You got in the game and played. What did it end up with? You know, I didn't even get one hit. You didn't? No. <laughs> Three times a bat, didn't even get a hit. Yeah, well, that's too bad. What was the final score of the game? Did you hear me? Hmm? The final score of the game? Oh. Not the original score, but after you played five innings, what was the score, the total? I was just curious to know you. Yeah. 46 to 12, when I left. That was at the end of the seventh. The Little Saints were up when I left. That was the other team's favor. Mm-hmm. The team you weren't playing on. Joe, don't rub it in. The other team had run through their batting lineup twice. The way they were going, I think they were going to have to call the game on account of darkness. They'd been up for over an hour. Only one out. <laughs> they sound pretty good. Well, they may sound pretty good to you, but they're murderers. You know, Joe, those kids grew up. There isn't going to be a ball club in the country that's going to have a chance again. them. I never saw anything like it. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry I missed being there to see you play. I bet you are. It was pretty bad, Joe, really. Well, you'd never know it. (laughs) Had me marked down for ten errors when I left. Only ten? It wasn't five innings. Mm -hmm. I guess you've got to be pretty bad to run up a score like that. Oh, I wouldn't say that. I was, Joe, though. I was pretty bad. Mm -hmm. I get it. Auto theft Friday. Yes, sir. Mm-hmm. Sure, we'll be right out. Want to give me that name again, please? Uh-huh, and that address. Fine. No, right away. Yes, sir. Friday. That's right. Right, bye. What do you got? Well, I don't think you're going to get much rest today. There's a used car dealer out on Washington Boulevard. Yeah? He thinks he bought a stolen car. a.m. We left the office and we drove out to the McGowan Car Company. It was a large lot on Washington Boulevard. Along the front of the place, there was a line of late model cars, each advertised as today's special. We walked through the aisles of automobiles to the office in a trailer at the back of the lot. There was nobody around, so we knocked on the door and waited. Well, he said he'd be here, didn't he? Yeah, I told him we'd be right out. Maybe he's gone out to breakfast. Yeah. Yeah? Mr. McGowan? That's right. Police officer, sir. You called our office. My name's Friday. Oh, yeah. Come on in. Thank you. Come on the back, just having a cup of coffee. Fix you guys up with one? No, sir, not for me. How about you? Yes, sir. Sure, I'll have a cup with you. Good, go on back and sit down. I'll bring it right back. Thank you. Say, uh, I didn't get you fellas' names. My name's Frank Smith. This is my partner, Sergeant Friday. Oh, glad to meet you. I talked to you on the phone, didn't I, Mr. Friday? Yes, sir, that's right. Thought so. Never forget a name, never do. There's your coffee. Thank I'm you. Jesse McGowan. 
Guys on the row are all the time kidding me about my first name. Jesse. Get it? No, sir, I don't believe it is. Jesse. Jesse James. Oh, yeah, sure. <laughs> well, anyway, I want to tell you about what this guy came in Saturday night. Last Saturday? Yeah, you see, we stay open until 10 on Saturday night. This guy must have come in about 9. Jack went over to take care of him, but the fellow said he wanted to see the manager, so Jack brought him back here. I see. Said he had a car to sell, brand new Merc. Beautiful car. Say, I got a box of donuts here if you like one. No, thanks. I don't think I'll have one. Didn't get a chance to eat this morning. Got to worrying about this deal. Mm-hmm. Got some of these new kind with a cinnamon on top. Hmm. Sure good. Well, I uh, told this guy we'd like to buy the car, but we were kind of overstocked on Mercs. Yeah. He said he'd just come out from the east and bought the car when he got here. Said right after he paid for it, he lost his job and had to get some money out of it. Uh-huh. I asked him if he'd like to make a trade, you know, transportation car and money to boot. Offered him a good deal on a Nash Rambler. Just got a couple of 51s in. Yes, sir. He said he wanted to sell the car outright. Said he was going to leave town. He wanted to get his money out of the car. I asked him how much he wanted for it. Mm-hmm. He told me he'd have to let it go for 2200 bucks. It's about 800 under what he must have paid for it. Mm-hmm. Right away, I figured there was something wrong, so I had the mechanic look it over. Only had 3,200 miles on it. Hardly broke in. Beautiful. Radio, heater, white sidewalls, continental hookup, real beaut. What'd your mechanic say about it? Said it was in perfect shape. So I asked the guy who the legal owner was. What'd he say? He said he was. He'd paid cash for it, had the pink slip made out to him, all right. He had the identification to go with it. You bought the car then, did you? Yeah, sure looked like a good deal. I gave him a certified check made out to cash for the amount. He gave me the keys. That was the last I saw him. Well, aside from the fact that it's an unusual deal, why do you think there's something wrong with it? Well, for the first thing, the price he wanted for the car was too low. I had the feeling that if I'd have given him any trouble on it, he'd have come down on it. Do you have the pink slip here? Oh, yeah, I brought it with me this morning. I got it here in my wallet. Any other reason you think the deal might be phony? Well, it's hard to put it into words, Sergeant. Nothing I can point out to you, just a feeling. You stay in this business very long, you kind of get to know people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, there it is. Thank you. Yeah, there's been a lot of gags about used car salesmen, about how we're always after somebody. Most of the time, though, it's the other way around. Is that right? Yeah, the bums were put out of the business right after the war. Public wouldn't stand for the way they did business. Got to rely on people coming back if you're going to come out in the long run. I guess it's like almost any other kind of business. Yeah, I suppose so. What kind of identification did the man have to prove he was this, uh, was it Lewis Carter? Yeah. Well, to tell you the truth, Sergeant, I didn't ask for any. He had the pink slip. Price he was asking was right. We checked the block and body number. There's the one listed on the slip. No reason to believe he didn't own the car. How about it, Joe? Well, looks like it's one of the slips from DMV in San Diego. You mean there is something wrong? What if I use your phone, please? Sure, you bet. It's right there. Help yourself. Thank you. Can I dial a Michigan number on this? Yeah. All right. Two five zero seven, please. Yeah, auto theft. Hi, this is Joe Friday. Yeah. Say, we got a pink slip out here. Looks like it's one of those that were stolen from DMV down south. No, down south. San Diego? Mm-hmm. You got the list there? Yeah, I'll wait. You mean somebody stole a pink slip from the department? Yes, sir. As near as we can figure it, about two dozen of them. Never heard of that. Well, this is the first one of them. Hello? Yeah. All right. Made out to a Lewis Franklin Carter. No, no. C. C. Charlie. Yeah. A. R. D-Dog, yeah, E-R, Carter, yeah. Mm-hmm. Registration number is uh, 660- no, two sixes, 660- two more sixes, 667. 660-667, that's right. Address, 4287 Ingram Street, Los Angeles, LA-5. Engine number 585509, all right, I'm sorry, 
5850925. That's it. Mm -hmm. Mercury, 8. Uh -huh. Yeah, well, that's what we figured. You got anything on the car? Mm -hmm. No, it was sold Saturday night. That's right. Yeah, there should be something out on it. Okay. Right. Thank you. How about it? The car stolen? No report yet, sir. Hey, I got to call the bank. Now, you said you gave the man a certified check. Yeah, I got to stop payment on it. Ain't going to be easy either. He can cash it any place. Sure looks like I'm out $2,200. Well, it isn't likely he's been able to cash it by this time, sir. Maybe not, but I'll give long odds that he's standing in line when the door's open. I better give him a call. Hope somebody's there. It's just 8.25. Yeah. Probably a little early. Yeah. That doesn't sound like anybody's there yet. Well, keep trying. I got to get that check. See what I mean? What's that? About the jokes. Now, we're the ones always trying to get away with a fast deal. No such thing. Take this one, for instance. Yeah? I bought the car in good faith. Paid cash for it. Gave the guy just what he asked for. Well, not quite, sir. Huh? You'll get a little more than that. We got a complete description of the suspect, Lewis Carter. We put out a local and an APB on him, and then we asked Dean Bergman to come out and go over the car for fingerprints. The owner of the used car lot, Jesse McGowan, told us that the car had been washed and cleaned thoroughly, that he didn't think we'd be able to come up with any fingerprints. 9 a.m., we put in a call to the bank and asked them to stop payment on the check and to notify their branch offices to do the same. McGowan supplied the number of the check, and the information was gotten out to the other banks and check cashing agencies in the area. Bergman finished checking the car, and he told us that the only print that he'd been able to find was a partial thumbprint under the dashboard. We rolled the prints of the man who'd washed the car, along with those of McGowan and the other people on the lot who'd come in contact with the automobile. None of theirs matched. We checked with the office and told them that we'd check out the address listed on the pink slip. 9.37 a.m., we pulled up in front of 4287 Ingram Street. It was a large two-story place that had been converted into a rooming house. There were several cars parked in the front yard. We went up to the front door and rang the bell. Want to try it again? Yeah. <laughs> I didn't know there were any of those around anymore. Don't see many of them nowadays. What? What kind of doorbell? Oh, yeah. Yeah? I'd like to see Lewis Carter. I'm him. What do you want? Police officers. We'd like to talk to you. Cops? What do you want with me? Might be better if we talked inside. Huh? Inside. Oh, yeah, yeah. Come on in. I just got up. You one of you guys got a cigarette? Yeah, yeah. Thanks. Uh, how about a match? Here. Thanks. Well, what do you want to see me about? Something wrong? You own a 53 Mercury convertible? Yeah, why? You know where it is? It should be out in front. Why? You leave the keys in your car when you park it? Once in a while, I forget it. Yeah. Look, I don't know if it's there now, though. Your car's been stolen, Mr. Carter. Huh? Your car's been stolen. Well, wait a minute. Yeah, you're right. Well, where is it? You got it back for me? Is it in the police garage? No, sir, I'm afraid it's not that easy. It was sold Saturday night. Sold? Who to? A used car dealer out in Washington. Who owns the car, sir? Well, I do. Do you have the pink slip on it? No, I didn't get it back from the Department of Motor Vehicles yet. Why? Well, the man that sold the car had the pink slip with him. Well, I don't care if he did have it. The car doesn't belong to him. He had no right to sell it. Well, when's the last time you saw your car? Mm, I guess it was Saturday afternoon. I came home early. I parked it out in front. Yeah, Saturday afternoon. Uh -huh. How is it you didn't know the car was taken? Officer, you saw the front of this place. Must be half a dozen cars parked out there. The rumors, they use a yard. You didn't use the car over the weekend then, is that it? 
Well, no, I didn't. I got home Saturday afternoon, like I told you. I spent the whole weekend doing some painting in one of the upstairs rooms. It's been vacant a long time. I figured maybe if I put a little paint on it, I might be able to rent it. Mm-hmm. You see, my wife used to take care of the place. She and I had some trouble. She went back east to see her mother. Seems like the house went to pot after she left, and we're really going to have trouble when she comes back and sees this mess. How many people do you have living here? Uh, uh, nine. Mm-hmm. I'd like to have you take a look at this description, see if any of them fit it. You figure it might be one of them? Well, we'd like you to check the description, if you would. Okay. Uh, no, I'm pretty sure it isn't one of them. None of them match this. What if you can give us their names? Oh, sure I can. Well, why do you have to have them? Just routine. Oh, oh, yeah. Well, I can give them to you, but I'm sure they aren't mixed up in it. Yes, yeah, sir. The thing I can't figure is how he got the pink slip. It was stolen, sir. From the state? Yes, sir. Last month, someone broke into their offices in San Diego and stole two dozen registration slips. How much did you get for the car? $2,200. $2,200? thing cost me over $3,000. Guy must be a jerk, huh? I don't know. It didn't cost him anything. Ten fifteen a.m., we went by the used car lot and picked up the owner. We took him down to the city hall and had him check the mug books. After going through the pictures, he was unable to give us an identification of the man who'd sold him the stolen automobile. We checked the names of the people who lived at Lewis Carter's house. One of them had a record of arrest on charges of violation of Section 4127A of the Los Angeles Municipal Code. He'd served a short term in the city jail, and then he'd been released. His physical description, however, did not match that of the suspect we were looking for. 11.35 a.m., we had the used car dealer taken back to his lot, and Frank and I checked into the office. About the only thing we got working for us is the check. Yeah, Hope they get the word out in time. He gets his hands on that money and he can go a long way. I get it. Follow theft Friday. Yes, sir. Yes, sir, we did. Mm-hmm. Right. That's right. Be there as soon as we can make it. Right. Bye. Well, he isn't going far. What do you mean? He's at the bank now. Listening to Dragnet, the authentic story of your police force in action. At cigarette dealers, in vending machines, at supermarkets and stores coast to coast. Chesterfields, please. Smokers by the thousands. Yes, smokers by the thousands are now changing to Chesterfield. The only cigarette ever to give you one. Proof of low nicotine, highest quality. Chemical analyses of the country's six leading brands confirm that. Two, the only cigarette ever to give you this proven record with smokers. Again and again, over a full year and one half, a group of Chesterfield smokers have been given thorough medical examinations. The doctor's reports are a matter of record. No adverse effects to the nose, throat, and sinuses from smoking Chesterfield. A responsible independent research laboratory supervises this continuing program. Chesterfield, the only cigarette ever with a record like this. Chesterfield, best for you. We'd gotten a call from a branch office of the bank that the check had been drawn on. At 11.30 a.m. that morning, a man had walked into the bank and presented a check for the amount of $2,200 drawn on the account of Jesse McGowan. Because of the amount of the check, it had to be okayed by the head cashier. Fortunately, he'd gotten the information about the check 
and had stalled the suspect long enough to call us. He was able to keep him waiting until we got there. The man was taken into custody without any trouble. He denied having anything to do with the stolen car, and he said that we'd made a mistake. We took him downtown and started to question him. I tell you, I don't know what this is all about. I'd like to help you out, but there's nothing I can do. Frank? Yeah? You want to get in touch with McGowan and have him come over? Yeah, right away. Well, do you want to tell me again where you got that check? It was against the law to have a check. I'd like to know where you got this one. I want it. Where? Look, I don't know what this is all about. I'm not about to get any of my friends in trouble by naming them. I got nothing to do with this, let alone my pals. You'll save yourself a lot more trouble if you'll tell us where you got the check. All right, I won it in a poker game. Pretty high stakes. Yeah, you? we gave up kid games. Who'd you win it from? I told you, I wasn't going to name any names. We're going to get them sooner or later, you know that. Not for me, you aren't. You build it any way you want. That's the way I figure it. When was this poker game? Saturday night. Where? I'm sorry, there's another one I can't answer. You been in San Diego lately? Not for a couple of months. When's the last time you were down there? I don't remember right off. It'll help if you can. What do you mean, help me? I got no trouble. You guys make a pinch while I'm trying to cash a check. I won the money. It was a payment for a debt. All I was trying to do is get my money. There's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong. Why don't you tell us who you won the money from? And have you guys throw a beef at them? Nothing doing. I read where you fellas spend your time breaking up a game of old maid. It's a little more serious than that, isn't it? Well, maybe to you. I got no problem. All I got to do is sit tight. You keep believing that, mister. And you keep acting like this, and you'll see what a problem you really got here. McGowan's on his way over, Joe. Who's McGowan? He's the man who wrote the check you tried to cash. Waste of time. You don't know me. We'll let him decide that. Go ahead. Have your fun. A couple of questions we'd like to ask you. Go ahead. I got nothing more important to do. Check your name through our identification bureau. Came up with some mighty interesting things. Is that right? Yeah. Let me see, Frank. Here. True name, Harold Drake. Is that right? Yeah. Your address is listed as 2917 Ledgewood Drive. Is that right? Yep. You told us you'd never been arrested. I haven't. Let's take a look at a picture. You got the room rigged for moving. I'm going to tell you something, Drake. You mark it down, you remember it. The sooner you stop playing footsie with us, the better it's going to be for you. Understand? When do you bring out the rubber hose? That went out with the story you're trying to hand us. Here's the picture. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the guy looks a lot like me. Didn't know any better. You might think we were twins. Yeah, if you didn't know better. But we do, huh? Oh, come off it, Drake, will you? We got you nailed and you know it. You want to sit there and dream up these fairy tales? That's up to you, but we got a job to do. We know you'll stand for this, and so do you. Now, why don't you save us both a lot of trouble and cop out? Look, I'd like to do it, Sergeant. No lie, I really would. But I can't cop out to something I had nothing to do with. All right. Start all over again. Where did you get the check? A guy gave it to me to pay off a poker debt. You're going to tell us who the guy is? No. I think it's time to stop playing games. Now, let's get on to what we got in the books here. You claim you've never been arrested. We got a package on you here that shows three arrests and two convictions. On a guy that looks like me. Let's go down the hall and roll your prints. That'll clean it up, won't I'm it? for that. Now, go on. Tell me the rest of the fairy tale. I'll lay it out for you in one-syllable words. That'll make it easy for you. You broke into the offices of DMV down in San Diego on February 28th. Yeah, day goes nice in February. Somebody's going to write a song about it sometime. You stole 26 pink slips, ready for mailing to the owners. You must mean somebody else. Now, that smile's going to come off your face, Drake, when McGowan walks in Look, here. I don't know who Mr. McGowan is, but I'll be happy to meet him. Now, tell me, what did I do after I stole the pink slips? You got the address of Lewis Carter. Then you went to his home on Saturday night and you stole his car. You drove it down to McGowan's used car lot. And with a pink slip, you sold it to him for 2200 bucks. <laughs> I was busy that night, wasn't I? What are you trying to prove with all this talk, Drake? You trying to make it rough on yourself? Is that what you want? I'm not trying to do anything. All I'm doing is trying to go along with you guys. I'll check and see if McGowan's here. All right. Can I have one of those? Yeah, help yourself. Thanks. And I wouldn't have your job for all the money in the world. All right. That's yeah, a lousy way to live. 
Going around trying to get people to cop out the things they didn't do. That's the way it looks to you, doesn't yeah, it? From anywhere I sit, it turns up just that way. A couple of things wrong. What? Your record, for one thing. Well, if you can prove it's mine. All we got to do is walk down the hall and you've had it. Now, as soon as we check the prints, we've turned the key. Sounds good the way you tell it. Going to sound better the way the judge says it, isn't it? Who's writing for you? You were arrested in 1939 for auto theft. You served three years. Arrested in 1945, suspicion, grand theft, auto. Dismissed. There, you see. They knew they had the wrong guy. Nobody's told us. Another arrest in 1946, grand theft, auto. Served four years. Case of mistaken identity. Is that what happened both times? Some people got very bad eyes. Now, you take this fellow McGowan you're bringing in here. Wouldn't be at all surprised if he had bad eyes. You know, there's one way to get yourself out of this, and that's to tell us where you got that check. I don't know how to do it any more simple than I have, Sergeant. I want it playing poker, and I'm not going to tell you who I want it from. It wouldn't do any good. I don't know who's been giving you advice, mister, but you aren't playing it very smart. Really? The guy who dreamed up this routine probably spent the next 20 years at Q. As a matter of fact, he's still walking around. All right, mister, let's go down the hall and check your prints. Come on in, Mr. McGowan. That's a man. You sure about that? Square to it in court. What are you trying to do, cause me a lot of trouble? I haven't done anything, and you know it. Now you come in here and you say, that's the man. You know what they can do to All me? All right, Drake, that's enough of that. Let's go, Mr. McGowan. Swear to it in court, that's the man who sold me the car. How about it, Drake? Nothing more, huh? Yeah, we'll roll your prints and check them against the record. We got a couple of parcels from San Diego. If yours match up, and I think they will, you've had it. No way out, huh? Not that I can see. Oh, what happens, uh... Now, this is just a wild question for the sake of argument. What happens if I cop out, plead guilty? We got nothing to say about that. You can't help out, huh? No, sir. Save the taxpayers a lot of money, no trial. I told you we got nothing to say about that. Not much to gain, then, by copping out, huh? We got you made if you do or you don't. Maybe make it a little easier if there's no jury trial. That's up to the judge. Nothing you can do? It'll go into the book that way. Mm-hmm. You got another cigarette? You're right there. Help yourself. Thanks. All right, let's go. Might as well get the prints and finish this thing up. Come on, Drake, get up. No hurry, let me finish the cigarette. I said, come on, we got other things to do. Well, so have I. What? One to ten years. The story you have just heard is true. The names were changed to protect the innocent. On September 15th, trial was held in Department 98, Superior Court of the State of California, in and for the County of Los Angeles. In a moment, the results of that trial. And now, here is our star, Jack Webb. Thank you, George Fenneman. Well, this is brief, but I think very much to the point. Chesterfield is the only cigarette that gives you proof of low nicotine, highest quality. That's what I want in my cigarette, and that's what you should look for in yours. Chesterfield, regular or king size, best for you. Triumph. Alex Drake was tried and convicted of grand theft auto three counts and was sentenced as prescribed by law. Grand theft auto is punishable by imprisonment in the state penitentiary for a period of from one to ten years. A hold was placed on the suspect by San Diego County for prosecution on the burglary charge. just heard Dragnet, a series of authentic cases from official files. Technical advice comes from the office of Chief of Police W.H. Parker, Los Angeles Police Department. 
Technical advisors, Captain Jack Donahoe, Sergeant Marty Wynn, Sergeant Vance Brasher. Heard tonight were Ben Alexander, Herb Bygren, Jack Crucian, Herb Ellis. Script by John Robinson. Music by Walter Schumann. Hal Gibney speaking. Watch an entirely new Dragnet case history each week on your local NBC television station. Please check your newspaper for the day and time. Chesterfield has brought you Dragnet, transcribed from Los Angeles.